It was one year ago today that Kabul fell to the Taliban, which really solidified uh, their control of the entire country of Afghanistan. Now, of course, that uh, coincided a year ago with a scrambled effort to evacuate from Afghanistan those who had worked with, who had helped Canadian forces in that country. There was an urgency to it. Unfortunately, uh, maybe it was too little too late that we weren't able to help enough people. And there were many left behind. And a year later, maybe there's a growing sense that we really have abandoned these people. You know, I think there's there's an obligation there that we have as a country. And certainly many of those organizations, those working with veterans in particular, you know, they, they feel that obligation or pleading with the government to not forget these Afghans. There's a story from the Canadian press uh, today that uh, Canada's resettlement efforts have lagged behind official targets less than halfway to our resettlement goal. Now, there are those we have managed to, to get to freedom. There's a really interesting story today. It's up at globalnews.ca on one of those stories. A story that's tinged with a lot of sadness, though. Joining us uh, to talk more about the situation, very pleased to welcome to the program, uh, Stuart Bell, investigative journalist for Global News, globalnews.ca. We've been doing some uh, important reporting on this story in recent days. Stuart, thanks so much for joining us here. Welcome to the program. Hi, Rob. Right. You had a piece uh, on Friday uh, that, that you were involved in on, on that, that sense. Uh, many of those who have been waiting, who have been essentially living in hiding for the past year, increasingly worried maybe that we've moved on or we've forgotten them. How, how prevalent is that at the moment? Well, it's very prevalent. Um, I mean, the, the Canadian mission was in, in uh, Afghanistan for uh, for quite a number of years uh, until they finally pulled the plug on it. And during that time, there were a lot of Afghans that worked for the Canadian forces, as well as on, um, you know, programs, um, development programs that were supported by Canada. And a lot of those people feel uh, at risk because of their association with both um, the Canadian government, which was at war with the Taliban, uh, and also because the projects that they were working on, uh, for example, women's empowerment, are not exactly things that align them with the ideology of the Taliban. So there's there's a lot of fear uh, among those people. A lot of them are in hiding and moving locations frequently, uh, trying to leave Afghanistan, although that's quite challenging. Um, and many, many of them, thousands of them, have applied um, to come to Canada through the Afghan resettlement program that was announced by the, uh, the Liberal government last year. Um, but many of them, many, thousands of them, are still waiting. Um, many of them say they have not received any response. Uh, when they try to get updates on their cases, they just get auto-replies from uh, the Immigration Department in Ottawa. So there's a lot of frustration, and there's a there's a sense among some of them that they've kind of been betrayed and, and left behind uh, by a government that they risked their lives to to support in Afghanistan. You got the story today. Uh, it's up at globalnews.ca about uh, Bashir Ahmadi, who is now uh, safe, living in Edmonton, that worked for the Canadian forces in Afghanistan, and we did manage to get him to safety, but. Uh, not his entire family. His daughter was killed at a military checkpoint in, in December at the hands of the Taliban. What does his story tell us about the successes and failures of our efforts? Yeah, it's kind of a bittersweet case because uh, on the one hand, uh, when I met him in Edmonton last week, um, he's very happy. He's very pleased and relieved to be in Canada uh, to have his 
most of his family there, his wife and his three children, his three sons. Um, they're living in an apartment. He's got a job uh, painting houses. He's he's very happy. He no longer has to look over his shoulder, uh, worrying about the Taliban, which had threatened him in the past because of his work. Uh, he was one of the local workers who received a letter to his house telling him uh, he needed to stop working for the enemy or else. So he feels good, but um, he, it's also emblematic, really, of the problems with this whole evacuation process, because uh, while he and his family were waiting to leave Afghanistan, um, his daughter was killed by the Taliban. And so, uh, as I say, it's a bittersweet um moment for him because he has arrived, but uh, he had to leave his daughter behind. Um, so, you know, in, in many ways, um, that case, we don't hear a lot about some of these cases. Um, they're very, very difficult for journalists to verify um, cases where the Taliban has gone after people because of their association with Canada. Um, Bashir really feels strongly that he was, his family was targeted because uh, his his work for the Canadian government was well known in Kandahar, and he believes his family's vehicle was targeted because of that. Um, his he was returning from a wedding uh, last December, and his daughter's car was went through a Taliban checkpoint and then was uh, fired upon, and she was killed. So it's it's I think it's kind of an example of the the risks that um, Afghans face as they're waiting for resettlement uh, for their cases to be processed by IRCC in some cases, and really a worst-case example of uh, of what can go wrong when you neglect uh, the people that supported you, um, you know, during your, your foreign mission in Afghanistan. You know, it's interesting, it's, it's, you, know, you note in your story, there is an agreement that exists that, that's supposed to allow Afghans who are, are headed to Canada to, to go through Pakistan, to basically go from Afghanistan into Pakistan, and then from there would make their way to Canada. But that is something that the uh, Taliban government has to approve. They, they have to issue a passport. So imagine then the situation of someone who's you know hiding out in safe houses, worried that they're going to be targeted for retribution, to have to then show their face and ask the government for a passport... You're basically calling attention to yourself to a government that that has marked you for death. I mean, that that doesn't seem like a, a viable option for a lot of these people. Well, this is one of the big challenges of of Afghanistan and resettlement is that it's very difficult to move Afghans out of the country. Um, you have you know it's under Taliban control uh, in neighboring countries. Pakistan, in particular, is the neighboring country that is the most uh, convenient, um, easily accessible refuge, um, and they haven't been entirely cooperative with, uh, they don't, I don't think they want large numbers of refugees. Uh, they've had an, had an issue with refugees over decades uh, from Pac- from Afghanistan. And so to, to enter Pakistan, uh, Afghans need a visa, a Pakistani visa. To get a visa, you need a passport. To get a passport, you have to go to the Taliban. And so this is the kind of the cycle, um, self-defeating cycle that many Afghans are in. Um, they're on the run from the Taliban, but to flee, they have to go to the Taliban to get a passport in order to get a visa. So this is one of the obstacles. There was an agreement as we cornered the minister last week and asked him about, you know, what he was doing about some of these issues. And this is one of the examples that he cited was that there had been a deal with Pakistan. There was a window in which Pakistan had agreed to allow 
Afghans on their way to Canada to transit through Pakistan. And this was somewhat scuttled by um, the Taliban, which insisted that people would need a, uh, you know, a passport, which, as I said, were, would require them to report to the Taliban, which many of them are not going to do because it's uh, it's basically turning yourself into your enemy. So there are, I mean, you know, to be fair to the government, there are yeah. a lot of obstacles that are being juggled here. Um, on the other hand, um, you know, they made a commitment to 40,000, to bringing in 40,000 people. They made that during, I think, during an election yeah. campaign last year, or at least the, the build-up to one. And um, the math doesn't doesn't work yet. There are, uh, I think, 17,000 that have been resettled at this point, and that's left thousands, really. Um, in in this limbo where they're not sure whether they're going to be um, on their way to Canada or their application is going to be approved, will Canada help to get them out, or do they need to just resign themselves that they're going to be living under the oppressive, repressive um, ideas of of the Taliban? Yeah, in a country that seems to be sliding into a deeper economic crisis as well. Uh, so very concerning situation. Your latest is mentioned up at globalnews.ca. Stuart, thanks so much for joining us here. Appreciate it. Thank you, Rob. Take care. Stuart Bell, investigative journalist uh, for Global News, globalnews.ca. More from Stuart there. Uh, Today, yes, the one-year anniversary of the fall of Kabul and uh, much catastrophe has uh, unfolded since then, unfortunately.